1: Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host,
0: John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the show that focuses on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system, And we do this by bringing you stories, personal stories, told by the people who suffered this injustice, and it's really incredible to hear directly from the person who struggled, who had these obstacles put in front of them, who had other people forget about them, push them aside, and they pushed through, they got out of prison, and they didn't stop there. That wasn't enough. They pushed forward and... Set out to lead an incredible life, and I have one of the best episodes I've ever had on Felony Friday coming up in just a moment. Here, we're going to be talking with Jason Spires. His story is nuts. It's going to have you on the edge of your seat, and the the passion that he has to achieve his dreams after having these obstacles placed in front of him by the criminal justice system. It's going to just blow your mind, and it's going to it's gonna motivate you. I know it's motivated me, so I'll get to that in a minute. Before I get to that interview, I just want to remind you guys, this is one show of three shows on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed. You can subscribe to the feed by going to iTunes. Well, I guess it's called Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or Overcast or whatever podcast you use. Just please go subscribe because you don't want to miss – our Monday show, every Monday, our flagship program hosted by Mark Clare, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement and hosts roundtable discussions. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams it's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. So you get all three of those shows in one feed. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a comment, give us a five-star review. We really do appreciate it. I want to tell you guys about a new podcast, friend of the show, friend of Lions of Liberty, Rachel Kennerly. Uh, she has a, a new podcast, has six or seven episodes out there now that focus on cannabis. She brings on, much like Felony Friday, where I bring on people to share their story about their experience in the criminal justice system, Rachel brings on people to share their stories about how they've used cannabis to heal themselves. Uh, how they've used medicinal medicinal cannabis to find healing. The show is called Cannabis Heals Me. And on the show so far, um, she's interviewed a couple who has a child with epilepsy, using the cannabis to, to treat the epilepsy, someone with a traumatic brain injury, a lupus survivor, and a woman who has a medical condition referred to as suicide disease. Uh, they publish one episode per week. You can find the episodes wherever you find podcasts, or you can check out the website at CannabisHealsMe.com. Rachel says the reason, her motivation for starting the show, she really wanted to educate people about the healing power of cannabis and to help to extinguish, to help to remove, to evaporate this stigma around the cannabis plant and uh, helped educate people to let them know that there are real people out there who are being healed and are having their lives greatly improved uh, by using cannabis. So be sure to check that podcast out, and let's get started with today's interview. My guest today on Felony Friday is Jason Spires. Uh, Jason was arrested on drug charges nearly 20 years ago. Uh, In the years since then, he's been on a path of personal success and growth. So back when he was 19 years old, he was arrested for selling cannabis. And from that charge, from the conviction, ended up spending 15 years in prison for selling cannabis on a 30-year sentence. So he served about half. Currently, Jason is enrolled at Stanford University, and he is also actively petitioning the governor of Illinois for a pardon. Jason, welcome to Felony Friday.
2: Hi, th- thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. And I don't know how this is possible, but I just heard about your story. You know, a couple a week ago, ten days ago, on Facebook, I think it was uh, Joshua Smith that was posting about you. And I said, well, I have never heard of this guy because you're you're a libertarian as well, right? Yes, I'm. I'm a proud
2: libertarian.
0: So you're active yeah. in the libertarian community, and uh, we can get into into that. May I'm sure, you know, maybe we, I, I don't know. You can, can go tell wherever me you'd
2: if, like, bud. <laughs>
0: Did, uh, did this experience, you know, serving the time, did that bring you to libertarianism or?
2: Uh, what, what happened was, is when I turned 18, I voted. In 2000, I voted for Al Gore. Okay. I was a young kid. I wanted to go vote. And my philosophy in life is I knew I didn't like either party, but I didn't know there was another option. Yeah. And I used to tell people, well, the Democrats want to take more of your money, but let you live your personal life. The Republicans want to let you keep a little more of your money, but tell you what to do with your life. So I'd rather buy my freedom and let the Democrats take a little more money and live my life the way I want. And so I voted Democrat. And then 2008 came along, and Ron Paul was running for president. And Mm -hmm. I remember a buddy of mine was like, hey, I'm going to go watch the debate. Like, what debate? The Democrats debate? The Republicans. I was like, the Republicans. Why would you watch the Republican debate? He's like, Ron Paul. And I go and I watch this older gentleman get up there, and he made me, he he didn't make me libertarian. He made me realize I always was one. Mm-hmm. And, and the way he stood on the stage, and he was like the knowledgeable elder that was like, "I'm not going to lie to you, like the rest of the guys on this stage." Yeah. And I started reading his books. I read In the Fed. I read Revolution. He turned me on to Hayek. He turned me on to you know economic principles and I I say I never chose to be a libertarian. It's just the party that aligns most with what I actually think makes sense.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I had a real similar experience. And uh, it was actually a buddy of mine, one of the other podcast hosts here at Lines of Liberty, Mark Clare, that he first introduced me to Ron Paul. and I was a Republican at the time, and I thought my buddy was a liberal. So I thought he was telling me about this liberal guy. I'm like, wait a minute, you're telling me about a Republican? I, I thought you were a liberal, but... Turned out, um, and he's telling me about this Republican who is a a humble foreign policy. And I'm like, none of this makes any sense. No no Republicans (laughs) have foreign policies like that. And uh, the moment that got me, and I'm sure you remember this, I was already, you know, I I was tracking along, but the one that slapped me in the face and woke me up was the Ron Paul, Rudy Giuliani exchange when Ron Paul was talking about blowback. And that was. That was when the light went off for me because I had already started looking into the Federal Reserve and monetary policy and, th- and things like that. But when when he when he hit Rudy Giuliani with blowback and the U.S. being responsible for contributing to terrorism based on our foreign policy, I was like, "Holy crap! Why why is nobody else talking about this?" So that yeah, that sent me down the path right
2: there. So one one of the things I want to mention because you brought up the Fed is. I'm in an economics class here at Stanford. My teacher's a uh, John Taylor. Trump considered to put him on the, uh, made him Fed chairman last year, thought about it, ended up calling oh, wow. him somebody else. And I'm just amazed that even when the conservatives are teaching economics here, libertarian philosophy is like just thrown to the wayside, not even talked about. It, it, it bothers me. The Fed is just something that's going to be here. The idea of not having it is like blasphemy. Yeah. You know I mean? so.
0: It's pretty amazing. Um, we, we can get into that. Maybe we'll save that yeah. for the end. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I want to talk about it. the reason I, I wanted to have you on because I mean you've suffered a, a great injustice here, and yeah, I'm talking with you right now, you have a positive attitude. You're in school at Stanford. You would never think that somebody meets you on the street now, they would never, you know, never think what you've been through. So let's let's backtrack. And uh, before we talk about you know the the crime and your conviction and what happened there let's flip like before that like the time the time before your arrest what was your life like i guess you you grew up in california originally we were talking in the pre-show chat yeah but-
2: I, I was born in san jose uh we moved up to northern california my dad and mom split up right after i was born so my my dad went back to illinois cuz my mom and dad are originally from illinois moved out to california had me split up dad goes back home I still go to Illinois during the summers and Christmases, so it wasn't like he was out of my life. It's just he didn't have a family or anything out here. So we ended up moving to Northern California. Unfortunately, my mom had a drug problem. Uh, My dad had a drug problem. So while I was growing up, it was always very clear that my parents loved me, but they just weren't in the best situation to guide me in life. And I remember being extremely broke, and I make no excuses for what I did, but I'm saying that that surrounded me with a culture where I didn't understand that selling drugs, selling cannabis was really a bad thing, you know, because everyone around me did it or did harder drugs. And uh, as I got to high school, I discovered a lot of my friends were starting to experiment. And uh, then I met some police that were willing to sell me cannabis. And I started buying cannabis off the police. <laughs> really? That's how much I didn't think this was a big deal. You know, and uh
0: you knew it, they were police officers.
2: Yeah, 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 they were yeah, this wasn't a setup, like they weren't trying to book me. Like I wow. I had friends that were police and they sold me cannabis. And I remember having this thought, it was a big deal to me. I was sitting out front jack in the box, because that's where I worked at, and I was like wow, I'm a drug dealer now. Because it wasn't like, I didn't just flip the switch and bam, became a drug dealer. There's a long story. I've written a book. People can be bored with that in a couple of years if they want to know the whole story. But uh, it, it it came up slowly hooking up my friends and helping more people, making money. And I enjoyed being able to buy gas and buy clothes. And then one day I did something that made me realize that I was an actual drug dealer, like I sold to someone that I didn't know. And I had this thought of like, am I okay with this? And I sat back and I looked around and I said, Well, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not causing anybody pain. And as far as the police are concerned, I'm buying it off of police. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't really think I'm really giving a big finger to the law as much as it's just a stupid law that no one respects anyways and no one really cares about. And uh, so I said, yeah, I'm okay with it. And then I came out to Illinois and they have a whole different view of things out in Illinois. (laughs) So that's how I started, started in it. When I got out to Illinois, I found out how much cannabis was out here or out in Illinois. It was about Mm -hmm. twice as much as what I was paying for it. And a light bulb went off in my head and I decided to start trying to bring it back. And my original goal was I wanted to make (laughs) $8,000. That was my original goal. And I'll tell you what, as soon as it got here, it was gone. And then I'd get more. And as soon as it got here, it was gone. And then I'd get more. And then as soon as it got here, the the money just came so fast and so quick. And one of the things I like to tell people is this was a big transitioning moment for me is uh, I got robbed. And I had a group of uh, gangbangers come in and rob me. I was staying in a house where I didn't sell drugs out of it. It was kind of like my safe house. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And they didn't know what I looked like. Uh, All they knew was my name. And someone else had set me up and they came in, they robbed me and they got me for a large deal of marijuana. And they had a bunch of guns and it terrified me because I realized, wow, I could have got killed. Mm -hmm. And then about two days after that, they got caught with the weed they robbed me for. And about six weeks after that, I got arrested and ended up in the same prison with the people that robbed me.
0: Holy shit.
2: Yeah. So when I sat back, Because we got in prison, I ended up we ended up talking to each other. It's a long story. I've I've given speeches across the state in front of state lawmakers about this story and everything. But just to summarize it real quick, me and one of the guys ended up getting along. You know, because he came to me and I said, "Look, I don't want any problems. You didn't rob me. You robbed a drug dealer that I'm no longer a part of." You know, and he's like, "Cool, cool. It's all good then." So prison, being what it is, you get a lot of downtime. We started talking. And when I bought the house that I was sleeping in, my safe house, I got it in a nice neighborhood where we had a common driveway with the neighbor. Uh, The neighbor sold Tupperware, so the UPS truck coming down the street all the time didn't even look out of place, Mm -hmm. you know, because I had it coming through UPS. And uh, so I started talking to them like, man, how would you guys, like, find my house, this and that? And they're like, well, we knew what your car looked like. And someone pointed us out your house because your car was in your driveway. It's like, oh, so if we had more time, I'd go on a longer version. But at the end of the day, when they came to my house to rob me, they almost went to my neighbor's house because we, ha- we shared a driveway and my mm-hmm. car was in the driveway and they thought his house was mine.
0: Well, the cops it, do that all the time with the no-knock raids.
2: But. Yeah, and they didn't even know what I looked like. And it dawned on me like they could have accidentally went into this guy's house that has kids
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And like robbed them and stuff like that. And I I go back to that realization moment that I had sitting out front of Jack in a box that I said like, am I okay with this? And my rationale was I'm not hurting anybody. And I realized that prohibition and having a black market in place is creating criminals and crimes. Mm-hmm. It's not the cannabis. Like it could be anything. You don't see Anheuser Busch driving by Mikhalev and shooting a cannon off at him. It's the prohibition of it. It's the illegal underground market. And that was the moment that I realized that, like, I'm not going to say that I'm very conflicted on it. Because when people ask me how do I feel, I'm like, well, I did something that I consciously knew was illegal and decided to do it anyways. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I don't believe it should be uh, illegal. I will never agree that my sentence was just in the least. I will never even come close to that. But I do believe we are national laws and that we need to write our laws to be respected and then have people respect those laws. But one of the things I wrestle with is prohibition right now is destroying so many lives and people are attributing it to substances instead of civil laws that we write around those substances. Absolutely. So, So when I go around speaking to state, a lot of people are surprised when I tell them that I'm actually not an advocate for legalization of cannabis. I'm an advocate to remove the prohibition market of it. If you remove prohibition, if you remove the illegal incentives, does that mean legalization? Yes, it means legalization. But there's a big difference between saying, I support legalization and I advocate the use of a substance. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think cigarettes should be illegal. I've never taken a drag of a cigarette, and I hope no one ever would. But if mm-hmm. they want to, that's their right. But creating a prohibition and underground market around it isn't going to do any benefit to our society.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's... <clears throat> That's interesting when you keep you keep going back and talking about that point sitting in that car in front of Jack in the box and sure you're looking at it from the one perspective what you're doing you know facilitating consensual transactions that's fine right there's no problem there but right just like you said the issue the prohibition it creates it distorts the marketplace it it creates and this is what brings a lot of the violent crime and brings the cartels in is yeah. there's a risk built into the marketplace that's going to keep a lot of people out that, um, you know, for example, someone like myself, I have, a, I have a young daughter, I have a wife, I have a nice job. I'm not going to go out and sell cannabis to make a couple thousand dollars. It doesn't make any sense to me. But somebody in a situation who's growing up in the inner city um, who doesn't have education? Ed- has no education. Has no future. Has uh, really no path to make money. Of course, they're they're going to do that because they're doing that to survive. Not only is that um, putting them in a more dangerous situation where there's guns and violence and things that could go wrong and put them and their family in harm's way, but it's also um, putting as we're seeing with the opioid ep- epidemic. It's creating. A tainted marketplace where you don't know what's in the drugs, you you don't know uh, what you're getting, and it's a lot of people point. to We're getting off topic here, but I'm just, we'll yeah. go with it. A lot of people point to to China for bringing fentanyl in here, which if, I mean, they they don't get off scot free. That that's 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 on them. But the reason that that happens, the reason they can do that, is because of the prohibition. Well,
2: here's the things that scare me when I go around speaking, and I've step I've done this in front of you know elected representatives and everything. Uh, Because a lot of them don't realize in Illinois, if you sell cannabis, you can be branded a heinous offender. I was considered more heinous than if I committed a second degree murder because I brought cannabis from California. It rendered me ineligible for educational credit, good time. I couldn't get rehabilitative services, good time credit. But if I had killed somebody with a second degree murder, I wouldn't be heinous and I qualified. So when I go around speaking around the state, one of the things I often do is I say, I want to do a thought experiment right here. Mm-hmm. Cannabis is illegal. You don't have to raise your hand publicly, but in your head, raise your hand if you'd smoke cannabis if you want to. And some people raise their hand publicly. Some candidates that I was working for did it, and I had to look at them like, put your hand down. out. <laughs> uh, so, and, and then I said, but just think about it in your head. I said, now, I want you to think about something. Marijuana is illegal, and you just raised your hand. Okay. Now, next thing, now marijuana is legal. Who's going to raise their hand? You're going to practically see the same people do the same actions, regardless of if it's legal mm-hmm. or illegal. Okay. So now I say, okay, now let's talk about cocaine and heroin. Okay, heroin's a horrible drug. It's destroying lives. There's an e- epidemic out there with opioids. Mm-hmm. I say, right now, I have a I have a thought experiment for you guys. I'm King Jason. I just declared it legal. It's 100% legal and I got some heroin right here in my pocket. Who wants to shoot it up with me? <laughs> no one's like, oh yeah, it's legal now.
0: <laughs> Hopefully like, nobody runs
2: it. It's It's still bad. But the point is, is, although their actions don't change, when you make cannabis legal, it doesn't change your actions. When you make heroin legal, they still don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But what it does do is removed from the end user, removed from the consumer, removed from someone like you or me who's not involved in, it in our everyday lives or me anymore when it comes to cannabis. The prohibition of it is creating a market infrastructure for the gangs and the people who are doing bad things and we're facilitating evil actors inside of the market by keeping it prohibited even though we're not altering people's end use of it. And that's what scares me.
0: Right on, man. Well, this this is good stuff. I like this back and forth. Um, But I want to talk about your experience too, because that's sort of what this show is all about—is getting to the core of that. So, let's talk about your your arrest. Um, You got some marijuana shipped to you. Yeah, what what uh, happened? You were was an undercover cop showed up with it, or no? Here's
2: what happened. My my mother sent me 37 pounds of cannabis. It was actually 38 pounds. A lot of of cannabis. cannabis. Yeah, I I, I paid roughly six thousand dollars six to eight thousand dollars for it, something along those lines. Honestly, when you get me on details or nitpicking little things, like I can't even remember if it was thirty-seven or thirty eight pounds. How big of a
0: box is that? Like
2: uh I went to Staples and I bought like an eighteen by twelve by twelve box and it was too big. And I had Mm -hmm. to cut it down. So like one of the things I would explain is like imagine the floorboard of your car. It would easily sit in a box inside the floorboard of your car with no problems. Okay. So it was like 37 or 38 pounds. They got sent. Uh, The, the Staples place accidentally broke it open or something, whatever their story is. They ended up finding the cannabis and they have it sent to me. Uh, They call the police. The police go ahead and have it sent to my house. So when the police come to my house, I'm not there. They go to the door Uh, My little brother was just staying the night, right? Like the box was supposed to be there the the, the day before. So I had my brother over that night. The box was running late. And I told my brother, don't answer the door. Do not answer the door if anybody knocks." Mm -hmm. And uh, my roommate Brandon was there, 19-year-old guy, you know. And my my little brother's there. And the police come. and They knock on the door. And they knock on the door more. more. Mm -hmm. And they knock on the door more. And they keep knocking on the door. And my little brother's like, screw it. And he goes ahead and opens it. And when he opens the door, it's a UPS guy. It's a cop dressed up as a UPS guy. Mm. He says, hey, I got a package here for you. I need you to sign for it. My little brother says, I ain't signing for nothing. I'm not even supposed to open the door. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, okay, well, here you go. I need you to take this box. And my little brother's like, you can just leave it right there for all I care. Like, I was just trying to get you to stop knocking on the door. You know, because he's afraid he's going to get in trouble. How, how
0: old was your little brother then?
2: 13. Yeah. I want to say 13, maybe 14. He might have just turned 14. Um, so, and that's in police reports. He refused to sign for it. He didn't want no part of it. And then the cop tells him, well, I need you to take this box so no one will steal it off the porch. And so my little brother's like, okay. And he picks up this box. And my little brother told me this. He remembered thinking as he's carrying this box in, that the UPS guy was a dick because he could have helped. He could have been nice and helped him carry the box in, but he couldn't because it was a cop and he couldn't help him carry drugs to the door. So as soon as my brother carried in the box, that made their search warrant valid. So I come home to pick up my old brother. So
0: so the cops knowingly left 36 pounds of marijuana with a 13-year-old
2: kid. And didn't even ask if an adult was home because an adult was home. An adult was home who lived there. My little mm-hmm. brother didn't even live there. I mean, but so anyways, I come home. And when I come home, my little brother's like, hey, uh, a package came and I seen it. And I wasn't excited by it anymore. It wasn't like the first time I'd ever gotten a package. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it, I was like, okay, no big deal. And I get my little brother and I leave. What I didn't know is cops were in the bushes outside of my house because they would put in a beacon transmitter inside this box. So as soon as I opened it, it would let off a signal, and then they were going to kick in the door and arrest me. The downfall in their plan was I wasn't even excited about it, so I didn't care. i just seen it. I was like, okay, let's go, <laughs> and left. And so the cops are, like, sitting outside in the bushes, like, what do we do now? What do we you do now? Even,
0: you didn't see them there? Did you walk right past them?
2: No. They, well, they had their cars hidden around the corner. When I say in the mm. bushes, it was metaphorical bushes, Okay,
0: gotcha, but, gotcha.
2: <laughs> uh, so anyways, so I leave. So after about, I think they waited eight hours. They're like, screw it. We're just going to kick in the door and see what happened. They kicked in the door and they found the box and the exact condition that they delivered it in. All my little brother did was pick it up, carry it inside the house, sit it down. I never, I never touched it, saw it, opened it. I might have seen like a glance of a corner of it. Through like, the, As soon as my little brother said it was there, I wasn't worried about it. I just left. So when I come home, I come home to my roommate standing in handcuffs out of the driveway. And one of my buddies in the car is like, who's that? I'm like, oh, gosh, it's the cops. And my buddy's like, no, it's not. And I'm like, yes, it is. And I'm like, what do I do? I'm already pulling in the driveway. I'm like, a guilty guy would be worried. So he'd put the car in reverse back out and leave. So Mm -hmm. I pulled in the driveway, got out and said, hi, my name is Jason Spires. I live here. Can I help you? You know? Play it like you're innocent. And they arrested me. So that's where I got arrested. And then about a year later, uh, the cops wanted me to work with them. Uh, I can- contemplated it. And in the middle of contemplating it, because I was looking at a lot of time. People can think what they want. When you're looking at a lot of time, you're going to think about, you know, what you're going to do is self-survival. Yeah. So I contemplated it. And in the scheme of contemplating it, I ended up being seen out front of this guy's house that they were getting ready to raid. And, uh, when they seen me in his house, I was pulled away leaving and they raided his house and they found drugs inside of his house. And, uh, I had two pounds of weed in my car. I'm totally guilty of that. There's a big, long story on how that happened. It was worked out with the police. I had their permission to do it. They say I didn't, but I did. Uh, And they ended up charging me for all the drugs in his house. And I took a lie detector test and passed (laughs) because I was literally just doing what they told me to do. (laughs) And then uh, I ended up getting charged with all the drugs that was inside his house. And all those charges got dropped as soon as I passed the lie detector test. And I ended up getting 30 years for weed. So, once again, I wasn't no innocent angel. I never claimed that I was, you know, an innocent angel. I violated the law willfully on my own accord many Mm -hmm. times. But I was—I never had guns, you know. I had a BB gun. <laughs> I had a CO2 cartridge BB gun. That's the closest thing to a gun I had. And uh, you know, I—I I was a weed guy. Like I don't know how to say it other than that. I was a dumb kid who thought he was smarter than everybody and thought he could get away with everyone and I could manipulate people, not in bad ways, but you know, try to get the way that I wanted.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, a lot of that was just being a teenager and thinking I was an arrogant know-it-all kid that can get away with anything that's I've like learned, most, i
0: mean that's like every teenager I,
2: i've so. learned that that's not true
0: <laughs> so i think one thing to point out so the guys that robbed you you know they're yeah. robbing you at gunpoint threatening your life
2: let my head open had skin hanging down over my ear when it was done
0: so they they assaulted you mm-hmm. um you you committed no violent acts against anyone you get this thirty year sentence.
2: What, I'll what was, give you this one. The guys who robbed me, they got caught with the pot they robbed me for and seventeen guns that was stolen from the Springfield police station. <laughs> they didn't even get half the time that I got.
0: That's what I was gonna ask you. How much did they get? So was that was that because 12 years. That was one because guy, they they one guy turned got on. six
2: one, no. One guy got six years and another guy got twelve years. Just don't sell. Like I told you, in Illinois, selling cannabis—if you bring cannabis from another state—you are worse than a second-degree murderer. When I was talking to state legislators about this, they were baffled. They're like, "What do you mean? I didn't even know that—that's what Class X means." And I'm like, (laughs) "That's what scares the crap out of me—is you guys are the ones that vote on these laws and put these penalties in place." And off the record, they admit to me, "I didn't even know what that meant." Jesus, I'm just like. It means you declared me a heinous criminal because I sold cannabis as a teenager. It means that now when they do the expungement summits, where they're trying to help people who have nonviolent offenses, get it off of their record. I'm ineligible to go through that process because I'm considered heinous. Really? That's one of the reasons I'm filing for a pardon is, uh, look, I'm going to have a good life regardless. I'm doing the right thing. I've had a lot of blessings come my way. I'm in a very great place. Uh, And I do work hard to get to where I'm at, but I have to be honest when I have to say that there's been a lot of benefactors that have stepped up in my life at the right time in the last couple of years, and uh, I didn't do this all on my own. So I'm going to have a good life no matter what. But what I've realized is there's plenty of people that are in a position similar to me that might not have the resources or the opportunities that I have. Mm -hmm. that are stuck with this weird class X sentencing brand and can't get these felonies off the record. Uh, I try, and it's affecting society in so many ways we don't even realize when I applied to Stanford, I also applied to the university of Illinois. Right. And the university of Illinois begrudgingly accepted me as in, I had a 4.0 GPA. I had outstanding teacher recommendations, you know, like, and, uh, they, they didn't even want to take me. They let me in on academic probation. I'm like, why am I going on academic probation? They're like, oh, because you sold cannabis. So I'm like, what the, What does that have to do with my academic performance that I sold pot almost two decades ago? I mean, like, I just don't get it. Like,
0: because that's what the rule book says. We have well, to do that. That's what,
2: we've had presidents admitting to using cocaine within two decades uh, where they took office. I'm just yeah. wanting to go to school. Like, so they wouldn't let me in on regular thing. And then I get into Stanford and Stanford's like, you know what, Jason? Come here, come to us, come to the place that sees you for the man you are today and not the 19 year old kid who made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, I would have probably picked Stanford over Illinois anyways, because they offered me a full ride. So I'm very, very happy with that. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just it's hurtful to me to think about the people that aren't in my position that don't have the opportunities to go to stanford they get stuck going to another university and are put on academic probation because they got caught with pot a couple of years before or something it's like we have so many things going on in society that we're we're limiting ourselves from having the best return on our dollars with these stupid convictions for things in my eyes that shouldn't even be crimes. I'm so,
0: on board with that.
2: Another thing is that uh if you my understanding is if you want to get graduate loans, like if you want to go to get a master's degree, mm-hmm. if you have a felony drug conviction, you can't qualify for the government subsidized graduate loans, which really put me in a hard position because they gave me over $200,000 in fines with my 30-year sentence and then they turned it into debt collections on me. So I have over $268,000 in fines for cannabis that I sold between the ages of like 19 and 21, and I'm now 37. So I don't think I'll be able to – if I want to go to grad school to get my master's degree here, mm-hmm. I don't think I'll be able to get private loans to pay for it because my credit's annihilated, and I won't be able to get the government you know, loans to pay for it uh, because I'm ineligible due to having a cannabis conviction.
0: Yeah, I had a guest a, a while ago. Uh, guy, I think his name is Aaron David, and he he's in school at I think at the Indiana U- University of Pennsylvania. No relation to to Indiana University, but I think his situation was similar to that. But he could get he could get graduate loans, but he wasn't able to get like a research position, like a pay position at the school, well, which he wanted to get.
2: Let me tell you what I know for a fact. I was at Illinois Central College in East Peoria. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, there was a registered sex offender there taking classes. And me and him went to file our taxes on the same day. So we had to get our T-98 forms from the college, so we We paid for it. Because uh, when you pay your own tuition, you can claim it as a refundable tax credit through the American Opportunity Tax Credit. Me and him are filling that out. When we go to submit, he qualified. I didn't, because if you have a drug conviction, you cannot qualify for the American Opportunity Tax Credit. So if I'd molested a child, I could have gotten it. But because I sold cannabis, I was ineligible. That's what I'm saying. It's like I don't want to cry about my life because I've learned a long time ago that no matter what you're given, life is what you make of it. you got to work the best you can to create the best opportunities for yourself. But what I worry about is I'm arrogantly defiant enough to believe that I can pull these things off and I get a lot of luck along the way that I acknowledge. I want to help make it easier for the next guy who might not be quite as arrogant as I am.
0: That's, that's a noble thing, man. That's, uh, so to, to turn back for a minute, what, how old were you when you got, when you got convicted?
2: Uh, I, was, I believe I was 21 by the time I was convicted. I got arrested at 19. I think going through the trial process and all that stuff, it took almost two years. So, did you
0: graduate? It, you'd already graduated high school at that point? Oh, yeah. Time? I graduated so, high okay. school
2: well before I got arrested. Uh, yeah. So, it, to,
0: get, to get into these colleges, you said you were, you were getting teacher recommendations. Were they from your high school teachers or were they from? Okay.
2: Here's what happened uh, when I was in prison. I had this weird moment where I was looking outside of a window, and when I was looking outside of the window, I seen the moon, and I thought about that cheesy romantic story about how you always hear a guy and a girl split up, but they always looked up at the same moon. And I had this weird thought of like, that's the same moon I'd be looking at if I was on the other side of the fence." And then that made me realize that I can still look at the same moon which means this is still my life to live. I just have to live it in their location. And so that, I don't know why the universe gave me that realization at that second, but it gave it to me. And, uh, uh, and along the way, when I got arrested, my mom got clean and sober. My dad got clean and sober. They gave me a good support cycle. And uh, so while I was in prison, I was fortunate enough that I didn't have to work a, a job in the kitchen to make 30 bucks a month because my dad would send me $30 a month. <laughs> and uh, so I went to the library and I started getting textbooks on molecular chemistry and on physics and on calculus. And I'd spend six hours a day, six days a week dismantling it. One of the often jokes that I cheesily repeat a lot of times is uh, looking back on it, I spent four or five years dismantling textbooks. and. I don't think selling cannabis was the last crime I ever committed because when I got done with some of those textbooks, my notes stood this high, and it had to be copyright infringement. I mean, I I practically rewrote the textbook sometimes. <laughs> so when I get out, I get to a, a – Illinois has a program that when you're a nonviolent offender, for the last two years of your sentence, you can try to get into a work release program, which is where you can go out in society, get a job, mm-hmm. learn how to – Deinstitutionalize yourself a little bit. Fortunately, even though I'm heinous, I'm still considered nonviolent. So I'm a heinous nonviolent defen- yeah. uh, offender. So I was eligible for the work release. So when I get to work release, I tell my counselor, I'm like, look, I have two goals. He's like, okay, what's your goals? He's, I said, my number one goal is do whatever I got to do to keep you happy. He's like, I like your first goal. I like it. And I said. My second goal is I want to be an engineer. He's like, okay. And I said, well, I'd like to go to school. I'd like to take some college courses. He's like, not. Nah, this is the work release center. Get yourself a job, you know, bring home a 40-hour job. I said, so what if I get a job? What if I what if I get a job and I'm working full-time? Can I take some college courses then? He's like, yeah, get a job. Bring me two, three paychecks, and we're taught. So I went and got a job, and I then I got another job. So I started working 60 hours a week and I brought home three checks to him. I gave it to him and I said, okay, what's up with college classes? He said, you're working 60 hours a week. Do you really want to try and take college classes? He was like, I said, yeah. He said, okay, you can sign up for one. I said, one, what if it's like, you know, like only a one credit class? Like what if I wanted, you know, he's like, Go sign up for classes. Just don't be stupid. You got to work 60 hours a week. (laughs) So I went off to the college and I signed up for full engineering, full-time engineering. Yeah, here's what he told me. He said, you have one hour to get there and one hour to get back and you can't drive. So I had a bike and a bus pass and and I had to go to my boss and I had to cut a deal with him to make my school hours work. Sean Kenny, Kenny's West side made my dreams possible. He said, man, you're going to school board, make your hours work. And, uh, so next thing, you know, I was full-time engineering with anywhere from 14 to 17 credits with labs and working 60 hours a week, 60 to 70 hours a week doing it all riding a bike. I don't care if it was zero degrees, a hundred degrees, snowfall or barren outside. I rode a bike and made it to school, made it to work. And that's how I spent 18 months of my life. Then I get out of the work lease center. And during that time I put into transfer and so the letters that I'd gotten from my teachers was uh, community college teachers that I had while I was going to while I was in the work lease center. And while I was in the uh, work lease center, I thought this was cool. I applied to get in the Phi Theta Kappa, which is an honor society for community college students. And uh, they said, "Well, we have to invite you." I'm like, "Well, how do you get invited?" They said, "You just get good grades." So I get the good grades. They invite me. And so when I go to apply, they don't let me in. They said, because I'd been incarcerated before, they couldn't honor it. And I was like, what? <laughs> how? Wh- what does that have to do with my academic performance? And then I, uh, I went to the top lady, and she said, hey, man, it's not us. It's national. She said, I'm with you. So I got a hold of national, and I said, look, I'm going to school. I'm getting good grades. I got excellent teacher recommendations. I don't understand how my accomplishments aren't worthy of being recognized because t- – 20 years ago, I made a dumb decision. And they said, you know what? You're right. And they changed their bylaws. And I was the first ever incarcerated student admitted into <laughs> Phi Theta Kappa.
0: That's awesome, man.
2: Yeah, And, and now all other incarcerated yeah. students can do it as well. And that's that's
0: fantastic. Yeah. Blazing the trail. Let me ask you a question here because I yeah. think this, this question is going to be, for people out there listening or watching, you know, if you have if they have a background in prison, if if they if they haven't, if they're just a normal person, I think your answer here is going to really, I think it's going to shine a light really on the motivation. So you're going through this, you have this goal set in your mind that you're going to take classes, you're going to work sixty hours a week, do whatever it takes to become an engineer. So when you're when you're riding that bike and it's fifteen degrees outside, it's snowing. That happened. <laughs> what? What made you keep going? Like what was the what was the trick? What, what did you how did you motivate yourself? How did you make yourself do it?
2: Um first off, I've always been the type that when I want something bad enough, I don't stop. I find a way to get to it. And that can be my detriment at times. <laughs> um but another thing I would say is I think about Shane Crushfield And Shane Crutchfield right now is sitting in Illinois prisons and he got a 40 year sentence for like a couple ounces of cocaine and he got 40 years. And I knew him before I went to prison. I knew him when I was in prison and he was one of the ones that got it. He was like me. He got his head right. You know what I mean? Like, and I think about it. Like there's times when I was working on a governor's campaign and we were at a hotel and I went swimming in the swimming pool and I was like, Shane can't do this right now, all because he sold a couple ounces of cocaine 15 years ago or, you know, however long it was. And so when I think about that, I think about, like, I remember when I was sitting in prison and I was studying chemistry and I had a racquetball. And I took the racquetball and I poked four holes in it like it was a tetrahedrally bonded carbon. And I'm using it to visualize how a molecule is spinning in the air so I can figure out if it's a diastomer an enantiomer or just a rotated molecule. If you don't know what those words are, yeah, congratulations, you're normal. It's not, it's not important. <laughs> so, so, but I'm looking at it, right? And I had this guard walk up, and he's like, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, uh, it was this weird moment where like if I tell him the truth, he's really going to think I'm crazy. So I was like, I'm just trying to make a better future for myself. He said, good deal. I want to hear it. And uh, I looked around, and there's a bunch of other people there who thought I was crazy. And it was a lot of the inmates. And they said, like, you're smart, Jason, but, man, you don't get it. We're the bottom of society now. Nobody cares about us. And I'm like, that's the problem is they don't even think it's possible. And if you don't even think it's possible, you're not going to work towards it. So when I was riding the bike in 15 degrees in the snow, I was like, I'm proving it. I'm making sure I prove it, that this is possible for everybody else. Like, look, Stanford is a very great university. And I believe there's something like 2,700 people that applied to transfer here this year. And I think 24 of us got it. Okay. Don't hold me the numbers. I know it's something close to that, but like, you know. And let me tell you this, I got in and there's other success stories out there, but they're not my stories to share. And so if you're willing to put your mind to it, if you're willing to work forward, your past will only hold you as far back as you allow it to. You will hit brick walls. You will hit times when Phi Theta Kappa says you can't join an Honor Society and you be great anyways. And you push forward anyways. Honestly, like uh, the the pardon I'm applying for from Governor Rauner right now, who this is going to sound so shameless. He's doing an awesome job in the prison system. And I'm not saying that because I'm asking for a pardon for him. Mm -hmm. Like it's a serious thing. his, His administration actually understood make the time fit the crime and use rehabilitative services and use work lease programs. And he's decriminalized cannabis on a small amount. And the new governor is talking, the governor elect is talking great stuff for Illinois, J.B. Pritzker. But That's one what I the, was
0: going to ask you. Did, yeah, didn't the new governor pretty much run on legalizing? Legalization.
1: Yeah.
2: And I look forward to, one of the things he said is that he wants to get moving on legalization and he wants to look in on uh, uh, doing expungement for records mm-hmm. from it. And if Bruce Rauner doesn't do it for me on his way out the door, I hope J.B. Pritzker will consider it. But honestly, I filed for a pardon Not so I could get the pardon. I filed for the pardon because I want all those people sitting in prison who, when I talked about trying to go to Stanford, said I was crazy, to realize that if you're ready to move past your past, society will let you do so as well. If you didn't hurt anybody, if you didn't take their stuff, you know what I mean? Society is going to let you move forward in life. You will not always be banished to that mistake you made if you're ready to move past it. And that's honestly what I'm trying to do every single day. People said Stanford was impossible. I pulled it off. My college count, my counselor in the Berkeley center said it was impossible to do full-time engineering and working 60 hours a week. I pulled it off. Like and I'm not nothing special. I work hard, but there's plenty of people I know who could do the same thing.
0: Well, Jason, you know I'm glad I'm glad we met. I'm glad I saw that random Facebook post, man, because this uh, this has been an awesome interview. Uh,
2: you know, let I me think, give a uh, shout out to Joshua Smith for posting that and sharing it. <laughs> I think Nick work and Joshua Smith and all of them. They're all doing great work, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that we have people like them working to pursue freedom and liberty in our lifetime.
0: Absolutely, man. Um, I told you we we're going to keep it to half hour. We we went way past <laughs> that, but I'm uh, sorry, bud. No, no, it was, it was great. It was great. Is there anything before I let you go, anything you want to plug or anything, you know, last words you want to say before we, uh, before we break this off?
2: Uh, yeah. The the mantra that I put in my head, I'm not going to plug a product. I'm going to plug a thought is, uh, when I was in prison, I thought about the saying it's an anonymous quote. It says the future is when you wish you would have done what you're not doing now. So I encourage anybody who's out there who wants to become something, Make today count. Do whatever it is today that you're going to be glad that you did in the future. So other than that, I'll have a book probably in a year or two and then I'll be asking for your money.
0: <laughs> I'll have you back on then, and we can talk about it. All right, Same. man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, it. man. I, I had fun. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Jason Spires today as much as I enjoyed getting a chance to talk with Jason. Easy guy to talk to a uh, very interesting story. And, I hope you guys found it as motivating as I did. Um, even from a, even from a, you know, outside, just looking in at this story, simply as a way to let people know if they want something, they have to push themselves. You know, outside of this being a criminal justice show. So, what I go back to and I think about when I re-listen this episode after after the interview, um, I locked in when. Jason was talking about when he decided he wanted to be an engineer and he was uh, you know, out on work release and whatnot and he was able to work and he's talking to his advisor, uh, meeting with them and said, he said, I want to be an engineer. What do I have to do? They said, go get a job. He went and got a job. Um, went and got a second job. He's working 60 hours a week. And he says, all right, I want to take classes now. And they said, all right, go sign up for a class. He goes he signs up for a full semester classes working 60 hours a week taking 18 you know 16 to 18 credits a semester and for those of you out there who have you know been to college or haven't been to college you know a lot of people have definitely have worked or are working 60 hours a week you know what each is like you know what college is like the you know and I guess, you know, college is what it is. You you get what you put into it. And for Jason to be able to get the grades that he got to get into Stanford, you know, I'm sure he was getting straight A's. So you got to put a lot of time into college. You got to study. You got to know everything inside and out, especially on an engineering path. But just working 60 hours a week alone in a, I think, a, a manual labor type job, this isn't sitting on your ass in a cubicle or anything like that. And then on top of that, going to college, attending the classes, studying, um, it's, it's incredible. And the visual that I have in my mind is when he was talking about riding his bike to and from class, to and from school, to and from class, um, to and from his job, all over the place, rain, snow, wind, sleet, hail, it didn't matter. He knew what he was going to do. He had it in his mind. He had it in his mind that it was going to happen. He'd visualized it and it happened. And he's at Stanford now. And a lot of people told him it couldn't happen. There's no shortage of people out there who will tell you that you can't achieve your dreams, that you should just take the easy path, you know, take the simple job, you know, just go to work, shut up, <laughs> stay in line. And that's, that's, what, that's what people say. And when people step out of line and they try to make their own way, it the weird thing is, is it upsets the people closest to them a lot of the time, the immediate family and friends. And they start maybe making fun of that person or they, um, not to their face, but behind their behind their back, something, sometimes they will. I'll try to pull them back down to earth. And I love that Jason didn't, give a shit what anybody said, didn't give a shit about the expectations people put on him. He wasn't having it. He just pushed through. So I think as libertarians, as somebody who believes in the ideas of liberty, believes in the individual and Jason's libertarian. So I think this is applicable. I think it's an excellent example. And we need more libertarians like Jason you know, libertarians so often are so quick to be so individualistic in their philosophy and lecturing others online, but then they get right back in line and go to the trough. And I'm guilty of this too. I'm trying to fight my way out of it, but I'm guilty of it too. And they do the same thing that everyone else is doing: beating their head against the wall in a 40-hour work week, beating their head against the wall in a job they're not passionate about, that they don't find rewarding. So hopefully this episode has given you uh, some motivation. Hopefully it has shown you that no matter what you're going through right now, Jason spent 15 years in prison for selling pot. All right. Labeled a heinous criminal. Heinous. Worse than a murderer. That didn't stop him. What's your excuse? What's your excuse? You don't have one. You know, I love stories like this. And there's going to be a lot more stories like this on Felony Friday, because this stuff gets me motivated, gets me fired up. And we need uh, people like Jason, who have stories like these, where they've overcome these obstacles and found great success. They need the platform. And my job with this show is to give them the platform uh, to get these stories out. So, if you think that's worthwhile, you might want to consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. Go to patreon.com slash of Liberty. Check out our pride levels, whatever level you are comfortable with, whatever, you know, you'll see the, the goals we want to meet there and you'll see what you get for each level. Check it out, whatever you want to do. Um, if you enjoy this, if you want to support us, please consider going to patreon.com slash of Liberty and tossing us a few bones per month. Appreciate it. You won't regret all the bonus content that we throw your way. And I think I'll leave it at that, guys. I will just say a couple more things, so I won't leave it at that. I lied. If you haven't joined the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, please do that. Go to Facebook, type Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top. It'll pop up. Click join, answer a question. You're in. Bing, bang, boom. And it's a great, uh, great little nugget on the internet, great little safe space it's, it's not a safe space but there's not a bunch of trolls in there that you know put up stupid shit uh, it just doesn't happen it's a bunch of uh, good discussion good conversation with polite people who'd like to uh, exercise their brain so come check it out also follow me on Instagram at John Odermatt follow the Lions of Liberty on Instagram at Lions of Liberty and you can also follow me on Twitter at John Odermatt so please check that out This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.